You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Hey, it's Friday, and a kind of gloomy one, but I don't care. It's a Friday. Hi, I'm Matt Coulter. There's Lars Anderson, along with Christian Miller, bringing you big noon sports for a fun Friday. What a fun Thursday night it was. Baker Mayfield comes across the country, goes across the field, 98-yard touchdown drive, Rams win. To just get out on the field and get back to playing football. I know it's hard to take it in right now. One, I hope you enjoyed the home locker room. You got to see it today. Uh, you can see it again, hopefully. But, I mean, dude, can you put it into words like the, the moment, right? Where you've been in this season, the pain you've been through, and some of the things to right now. Yeah, I mean, it's been a wild year. I'm not going to say otherwise from being in limbo in the beginning, not knowing where it's going to go, and uh, to the, the last 48 hours here. Uh, you know, and I'm thankful for the guys back in Carolina, my teammates. I mean, to be honest with you, I love those guys. It, it sucked having to leave, but, I mean, when it, when it works out like this, it, it's for the best, and I think they understand that. Um, but it's been wild. You, you, talk, you talk about your, your, your former teammates there in Carolina. You see these tweets that we're putting up. Patrick Mahomes just putting up, wow, crying emojis. It's incredible what just happened, but I would love to know what your last 48 hours, aside from the moment that just happened, your bags haven't even hit the carousel four at LAX yet. What we saw last night, what we saw last night was truly one of the greatest drives in NFL history. What we saw last night was truly one of the greatest drives in NFL history. Um, (laughs) Facts are facts. Let's start with Baker Mayfield. His two days before debuting was all, was the shortest amount of time a quarterback has spent with a new team before playing quarterback since at least 1995. And NFL research is still digging into that. Now, L.A.'s 98-yard march to win the game was the NFL's longest go-ahead touchdown drive to begin in the final two minutes over the last 45 seasons, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. Now, there's a lot to break down here. A lot to break down. Uh, Oh, it's what phenomenal. You know, Thursday night football has absolutely been in the tank all year. Uh, The games haven't been good. They haven't been competitive. Uh, very little interest. There was interest in this game simply because of the Rams and the Raiders and because Baker Mayfield went across the country and then led them to victory. But it's phenomenal. And you pair that, Lars, with what a 45-year-old guy did with the Tampa Bay Bucks rallying his team from 17-13. Oddly enough, both scores were the same, 17-16. Uh, the NFL with their uh, last-minute heroics is absolutely on fire. 
Yeah, there have been a lot of duds uh, on on Thursday night um, this year, but last night was just spectacular, and you could not have seen this coming. I mean, Baker Mayfield kicked to the curb by the Cleveland Browns. Then he was uh, picked up by Carolina, and he was benched in favor of Sam Darnold, just three days ago, Baker, the former number one overall pick, he asked for his release. The Panthers obliged, and he gets a new fresh start in uh, in in Los Angeles. And believe it or not, the, the Rams were the only team to place a waiver claim on him. We thought maybe the San Francisco 49ers would because of the injury to Garoppolo, but they didn't even put in a claim. And so... This is a guy who's literally given his last shot, and there was such a beautiful moment in the locker room, hardcore, where uh, after uh, Sean McVay gives away a couple game balls, he gives the final game ball to Baker, and Baker leads them sort of in the huddle, you know, one, two, three Rams. But before he said that, he's like, I'm home, I'm home. And man, what a great moment! I mean, this was this was sports at its best, Matt. And look, I've again, there's a lot to get into about Baker Mayfield and and Sean McVay. You know, these two met randomly, and I know the story has been told. They met randomly on a flight uh, going to the NFL Combine four years ago. It was a Southwest flight, and it was uh, going from L.A. to Indianapolis. And Baker, you know, on Southwest, like, there's no seat assignments, right? Oh, yeah. So you, it's just sort of like everybody uh, just scrambles for a seat. And uh, Baker, uh, Sean McVay got on first. And he took, uh, I, I believe it was a, 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 a an aisle seat. And then Baker... He uh, comes on later. He must have had. A, he was not in like the A group or whatever they call it. I forget zones A, uh, yeah, B, zone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was in like the lower zone, but because like all of the middle and side seats were taken, uh, or all the I'm sorry, all of the uh, uh, aisle and window seats were taken. But he saw, saw McVeigh, and Baker sits in the middle, takes the middle seat, and the two uh, have about. Uh, you know, three hours to talk as they fly from L.A. to Indy. And, look, McVeigh knew that he had no chance of drafting Baker but uh, because he was going to go number one overall and the Rams were drafting way down. But they talked. They talked the entire time. And uh, they got to know each other. And you, you could see and, – and I know, I, you don't want to overstate this, but um, – I think that interaction actually had uh, played a role in why McVeigh and the Rams decided to pick up Baker. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to get Christian Miller's thoughts on this because, um, you know, going to a team, being on the team, Christian, for 48 hours as the quarterback and the wristband that Baker was wearing – I mean, I, I would have needed a uh, uh, like the, the thickest glasses possible to read that because of how tiny the type was and how much information Baker had on his wristband. But just how improbable is it what Baker Makefield achieved last night? It's definitely no easy feat. I mean, it's, this is 
to to pick up a new system, you know, and obviously he didn't pick it up completely that fast. Now, fortunately, in the NFL, there's a lot of you know similar terminology that can kind of you know relate to each other, and and, and you know some places might call things one thing, and then another place might call it another thing. But you know you can kind of start putting two and two together. And fortunately, you know the quarterbacks have the mic in their helmets as well. Um, but to 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 land in Los Angeles on a Tuesday and then dress out and be the starting quarterback. Um, for that team on Thursday and to lead your team to a, a comeback victory like that. I mean, the chances of doing that is slim to none. I mean, that, that's, that was remarkable by him. You know, I was happy for him because, you know, he's faced a lot of dubious critics and, and, and a lot of people have, you know, written him off. You know, he's on his third team in the span of a year, um, you know, with Cleveland and Carolina, then uh, now Los Angeles. But, you know, watching the game, you know, you know, clearly you could tell he just got there two days prior. Um, at first, you know, he's, he was kind of going through some little growing pains the first couple of drives, but you know, he did a good job just taking what the defense gave him, and uh, he capitalized on the short and simple passing concepts uh, that Sean McVay probably implemented for him, and uh, you know, leading that that ninety eight yard touchdown drive to win the game. I mean, he looked like he was back in his element where he was confident, he was feeling himself. I mean, he was making some remarkable throws and and these are and let's let's also point out that he hasn't even thrown with these receivers before they've ne- i mean well, maybe once maybe twice but i mean he just got to work with these receivers and he was making some incredible throws and uh it was just really you know and that's that's why i mentioned it you know when you asked that question about him i said you know he's a, a former number one pick you know he's a plug and play kind of guy you know it's just a matter of if he can kind of pick up a a playbook you know how fast he can pick that playbook up but that's that's exactly why they claimed him off waivers because he's one of those guys that can put in there and he would at least give them a chance and that's what he did yesterday in the fourth quarter just his his statistics were amazing 15 of 20 for 141 yards and and that beautiful throw for the touchdown and you're right he made some spectacular throws he showed the arm talent that he displayed at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. That's why he won the Heisman Trophy. That's why he was the number one overall pick. And you got to remember, he did lead the Browns to the playoffs. Yeah, and and they were very close to beating Kansas City. And and if if if, if that happens in in the playoffs, uh, I think Baker is still in in Cleveland. Aren't the Rams and, but, but, missing their best offensive player? Yeah, y- yes. Cooper uh, Cup Cooper, does, Cooper, Cooper Cup catch any of these Cooper passes. Cooper Cup didn't play. Allen Robinson, their number two wide receiver, didn't play. Amazing. He did this with wide receivers I've never heard of. I mean, this is it. It really there's just so much to to analyze and and dig into here. And I think one more remarkable thing happened last night. Baker Mayfield became almost a sympathetic figure and a figure to root for. And he's one of the most hated guys in the NFL by fans, by fans. He does not have a, a lot of fans around the country just because of how he comes off. I've never spent time with Baker one-on-one, but, uh, you know, you can just tell by talking I've to people. i said this publicly. I think he comes off as a little bit of a tool and maybe not a little bit of a tool. And he may still be. But you know what? So is my quarterback in Green Bay. He's a lot of one. But you pull for the guy that's getting you victories. But I think if your point is that some of the people like myself have a little bit more love for Baker Mayfield this morning, you're absolutely wrong. 
<laughs> really? Okay. Thanks for, uh, yeah. Uh, you, you went in a different direction there. Uh, did you see the headbutt? Uh, I did not. Uh, Christian, did you see the headbutt on the sideline? I mean, Baker just uh, not wearing his helmet, just headbutted a player as hard as you can uh, who was wearing a helmet. I don't know if Baker was bleeding or not, but I just – He's been I, doing I, that. I loved – I just loved everything about that comeback. And uh, I think you can make the argument now that the Raiders – are one of the most disappointing teams in the NFL a year after making the playoffs. And uh, they may need to do some retooling and uh, rethinking about uh, perhaps Derek Carr as their, uh, you know, cornerstone quarterback moving forward. I just, uh, he's hard to figure out because some some days he looks like Unitas. Other days he doesn't. Uh, You're listening to Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and, Christian. And, and coming up, Evan Dudley, who covers UAB and also one of my former students. He's going to be joining us here on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Road tripping, business travel, or bringing your car in for repairs. All great reasons to rent a Toyota at Tuscaloosa Toyota. You can rent a 73, tonight's low 56. For tomorrow, partially sunny with a chance of widely scattered showers. The high at 74. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 75 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Hey, it is Friday, December 9th, Big Noon Sports. Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and now joined by the AL.com beat writer for the University of Alabama Birmingham Blazers, the UAB Blazers, Evan Dudley. This guy was uh, one of your many students, huh? Yeah, and also one of the best I've ever had. Uh, Evan's an incredibly graceful writer, really good reporter, and uh, great things still await him, and I'm really, really proud of Evan. Hey, Evan. Well, the gang says hello. How are you today? Uh, hello. I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, Lars, for the introduction, uh, as well as the many shout-outs for my name while waiting online. But uh, doing great today. Uh, pleasure to be on. Hey, c- kind of walk us through what Trent Dilfer's been doing since his hire. I guess this week, is he going through the car wash? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty much been, uh, you know, going through all the, you know, all the media uh, uh, relations type things you got to do whenever you get hired. Uh, but he's also kind of been... Out on the recruiting, getting getting his guys out on the recruiting. He's hired a few guys for his staff already. Uh, you know, there's still a few positions left in that. Uh, I imagine he still wants to uh, interview a few of the current staff members. Uh, but I think he says he wants to wait until uh, you know closer to the bowl game or after the bowl game uh, to interview those guys. But uh, you know, he's really just been busy, kind of trying to build this staff, uh, uh, become one with the Birmingham uh, kind of a, a culture, uh, and then really just kind of uh, uh, supplant himself into this Birmingham area. Evan, I love stories that 
kind of uh, go back and examine how coaching hires were made. Uh, I think they're really fun, but usually you can't do them until about a year later when everybody's uh, willing to reveal the details. But uh, given that, uh, and, and I know we're not that far away, not that far removed from when uh, Trent Dilfer was hired, what, what do you know about the backstory of how this all came together? Uh, well, uh, from what I've from what I've been told, uh, you know, we've uh, Mark Ingram was searching, you know, doing a national search. Uh, he had zeroed in on a few candidates. I uh, spoke with a few of them. Uh, Tom Herman, a uh, former Texas coach, now FAU coach. Uh, uh, you look at Skip Holtz, the Birmingham Stallions coach. He had spoken with him. Uh, a few a few other names out there, but uh, you know, this Trent Dilfer name came along uh, just from a, a mutual friend they had in the Birmingham business. Uh, uh, kind of uh, list, and, uh, and he kind of gave Trent uh, Trent's number to Mark Ingram, and Mark gave him a call, and uh, they had a few conversations, and it just kept going over and over. And uh, I think one of the main things that happened uh, was that uh, Mark Ingram, being a former lone snapper and center at Tennessee, uh, spoke with his former quarterback Peyton Manning. Uh, Peyton didn't know Dilfer personally as well as he may have, uh, but you know, in his experiences, he knew Dilfer was a good guy, and so he pointed uh, Ingram in directions of people, of coaches that knew him better uh, while he was in the league, and he spoke with those. And it just kept uh, snowballing from there. And I think the more and more uh, Mark spoke with him, he was just more impressed and uh, and really uh, chose to kind of go with an out-of-box hire instead of uh, into the business of hiring recycled coaches. Evan, it was reported that uh, Trent Dilford just hired you know, his defensive coordinator um, that was at his last stop in, uh, at the high school ranks, Sione uh, Tawa Ufu, uh, I believe it's pronounced. Do you know any uh, any information on him or, or what we can expect on, on his hire? Uh, well, uh, um, there's no official word yet, but, uh, you know, we were, uh, we've had been confirmed with that news that he has been hired as defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, he, he was with him at Lissom Academy, but he was also a successful high school head coach in the California area and has worked with Dilfer with the Elite 11 and the opening the past uh, decade or so. So, you know, this is a guy that uh, Dilfer really trusts. Uh, he trusts to run his defense. Uh, and, of course, Dilfer, you know, having played for a Super Bowl team with one of the greatest defenses in uh, modern NFL history, uh, I believe that, you know, he understands the importance of that and, uh, you know, that you're going to have to win with defense as well as, you know, special teams and offensive line play. Our guest is Evan Dudley of AL.com talking some UAB sports. I'm going to get to basketball in a minute. But another football question here because uh, one of the initial questions concerning his hire was that he's a high school coach. But you know what, Evan? I have not heard a lot of pushback on that. Are, are you, from your high school circles to your UAB boosters to, to other coaches and, and colleagues that you run into on an everyday basis? Uh, I've never, I've not really heard much pushback, uh, you know, from those types of people. I think more of the pushback might have been from a uh, portion of fan base, uh, you know, just realizing that, uh, you know, what Mark Ingram said earlier in the season was that he wasn't going to go out, go out and hire a high school coach, which is exactly what he did. But in the, but in the same thread, you know, he likes to think of it as he, you know, he hired a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He hired a guy who had been in the NFL for, you know, a decade plus. Uh, you know, starting and playing a pivotal role in games. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who's, uh, you know, seen the battles, seen the, you know, the biggest battles on the biggest stage. So, you know, him coming from high school, I don't think was a deal breaker as much as uh, as many people would think uh, it would be. You know, it was his first coaching job, uh, you know, kind of getting out of the ESPN, uh, you know, broadcast analyst kind of a uh, uh, position. But I think it's something that, you know, he's 
wanted to take the next step, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, speaking with his wife, he told the story about speaking with his wife that he was happy where he was at, but his wife said he was meant for bigger things. Uh, so I think it's just something that, you know, he's made to do. And I, I don't think there's going to be too many qualms about him being a high school coach, uh, especially with one where he took over a program that was one of the worst in the nation and turned it into a top 10 national program. Nine seven eight nine in Tennessee, one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming, or visit one eight hundred gambler dot net in West Virginia. Covering SEC Six sports like under interim coach Bryant Vincent. Um, what was there a magic number of wins that uh, Brian Vincent needed to get to in order to receive uh, or have the interim tag removed and be? Uh, let's switch over to basketball. Uh, guess uh, UAB is at West Virginia. Going to go see Huggy Bear. Um, that's an interesting matchup. I remember watching them uh, at Legacy last year when they played, and and they just—I can be honest with you—West Virginia and Hug, they just play ugly. Uh, UAB does not. It's a wonderful form of basketball. I guess I'm just waxing poetically here to hope that we hand it back to West Virginia tomorrow. Your overall impressions on what Andy has done thus far this season. Uh, you know, it's been a you know, it's been an early grind early this season. You know, trying to find uh, the right lineups, the right uh, uh, the rotation. Like, you know, he brought he brought in some more guys from the transfer portal. Uh, you know, they can go seven, eight deep. Uh, you know, that's what they've been doing these first few games. So I think it's a uh, just kind of finding that right rotation these first few weeks of the season. But I think as it grows, uh, they're going to become more comfortable with one another. Obviously, you got the nation's leading scorer in uh, Jelly Walker. Uh, you got Eric Gaines, who's a Sports Center top ten highlight reel, waiting to happen every game. So you know it's a it's a team that's got a lot of talent, and I think as they continue to grow, uh, you know it's going to be, uh, you know, as Kennedy said when he was hired, he's going to return it to the Bartow standard of, uh, you know, making the NCAA tournament on a regular basis and competing for championships. Evan, one more football question for you. Uh, I know that that you know Bill Clark very well. Do you think we see him become a head coach again, or is he uh, done with coaching altogether? Uh, I think he might later on. Uh, you know, I think we might be another couple of years away from that. Uh, you know, speaking with him, uh, I believe during the season uh, at one of the games, I spoke to him uh, on the side. You know, he's still kind of recovering from his uh, surgery. Uh, you know, still going through that. Uh, so I know that's going to be keeping him from the sidelines. Uh, you know, until that is fully, until he's fully recovered with that. But I also know that he's a uh, you know, he he's involved with the Coach Safely program here in Alabama. I know that's a big uh, uh, thing uh, that close to his heart that he's really wa- uh, really wants to continue on. Uh, he wants to continue supporting UAB. Uh, you know, he is kind of the the figurehead of the football program there now, even though he's not the head coach. You know, he is a he is the guy who brought this program back to life. So I think uh, you know he's going to be happy spending his time uh, in retirement at the at the moment for a few more years. But I think you know within. Within the next few years, he'll get that itch uh, to get back on the sidelines and get coaching, you know, because he's one of those guys that's uh, coached his entire life, uh, you know, much like Saban and uh, a lot of these other guys. And, uh, you know, I find it hard that these uh, guys will, you know, find something to do without being around the team. Evan, give me something Lars taught you in class that you hold on to every day. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Show, don't tell. Yep. 
<laughs> I say that a thousand times a semester in your writing. Show, don't tell. That means describe the event, what happened. Don't say what happened. Don't say the pitcher got hit in the head with a baseball. Uh, say that the say pit- he was say, uh, No, you, you, you lead with the... Uh, the line of blood dripping down the pitcher's forehead, pooling at his feet, and then you engage the reader that way rather than just coming out with a straight AP style lead. All right, Evan and I are dying. Who who told you that, or is that a Lars original? It's a no. Nah, it's a it's a Sports Illustrated staple. It uh-huh. is, I learned it at the magazine. Well, well. Keep using it. Evidently, it's working with guys like Evan. Yeah, Evan's immensely oh. talented. Evan, uh, have uh, have a great week, uh, and I will see you at the next UAB game. Thanks, man. Thanks, Evan. Right, thank you Thanks, so much. Evan. Y'all have a great day. Um, week after this, the trip is to West Virginia. They play South Carolina at home, so you got a little UAB SEC matchup going on. We'll give you more of those details. Speaking of basketball, statistic last night – in NCAA hoops that's going to blow your mind, and then I'm going to take a little trip down memory lane. It's absolutely going to leave all of you with your jaws dropping. That's coming up on Big Noon Sports. Sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Roll Tide. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is a tax. 73, tonight's low 56. For tomorrow, partially sunny with a chance of widely scattered showers. The high at 74. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 75 degrees in Tuscaloosa. All right, welcome back to the program, Big Noon Sports. Lars, big plans for the weekend? You got your kids? Going to rowdy? Yeah, got Wait my kiddos. That's just a dumb question. Uh, yeah. Forget I oh, asked man. that. Got my kiddos. We are, uh, I put up the Christmas tree last night. It is the most pathetic-looking Christmas tree in the history of Christmas trees. But no, my, my, worse my, than Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah. My kitties, though, we're going to uh, put up ornaments, and we're going to play some serious hoops tonight. Uh, the court is clear, and uh, it's on. Christian, what you got on for the weekend? Uh, I think I'm just hanging around. Uh, I don't think I have anything planned just yet. Um, How about you? Uh, gonna go see the kids this afternoon. My, when I say kids, they're my kids, but my grandkids. Um, and you know, there's some really good basketball on tomorrow. And I know Army Navy's on too, correct? So yeah, you you watch that, of course. But uh, that in um, kind of lay around. Karen's off a few days, and we have a spare room. 
Oh, Lars, come fetch me. <laughs> I mean, and that thing is full. Anyway, last night in Division Three college basketball, okay, I've got to listen for these numbers because at first you'll go, Matt, you're kidding. Uh, Grinnell College, you ever heard of it? One of my closest friends went to Grinnell. It's in Iowa, in and Iowa. Uh, I thought of going to Grinnell myself. Well, you know, as much as you like to shoot the rock, you would have fit right in. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Last night, they shot a an NCAA record 111 threes. Did, did you hear me? <laughs> 111. They did not take a shot other than threes, okay? They made 40. By the way, that's a pretty good percentage, 40 out of 111. Yeah. They beat... Imas? Uh, they beat, uh, yeah, Imas Biblical College, 124-67. So this whole philosophy uh, has been uh, at Grinnell for quite a while, and it's a unique offensive system based on the ideas of uh, going back to Paul Westhead at Loyola Marymount back in the 1980s. And then it was fine-tuned by Coach uh, David Arsenal at Grinnell. And uh, in, in Grinnell, Iowa, it's about halfway between Des Moines and Iowa City. It's uh, it's a basically like a one-stoplight town uh, surrounded by cornfields. But uh, this, this, this philosophy that they play with is predicated on quick shots, prioritizing three-pointers, constant full-court full, full, full pressure, and crashing the offensive glass. I mean, it's all about scoring points. Uh, back in 2012, Grinnell guard Jack Taylor uh, set an NCAA record with how many points did he score in a game? 138. 138. He put down 138 in a game. The next year, he scored 109. Uh, and so, and now Grinnell is coached by David Arsenault's son, David Jr. And, uh, man, the, uh, it, it, I'm telling you, it is fun to watch. It is an entirely different brand of basketball. I doubt it would translate well to a uh, Division One or the NBA. But, uh, but, hey, you know, Paul Westhead did have success in the NBA, and it's all just based about uh, jacking up the threes. And, the Bo Kimball era, right? Yeah, yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's kind of a precursor to – what we see today at Alabama, uh, in, in some respects, it's because it's it's all about prioritizing three point shots, and uh, and and you can trace that back to Westhead, and really the grand experiment took place in the cornfields of Grinnell, Iowa, and last night was just a great illustration of that, launching 111 threes. If you read into that story, or the one I particularly read, uh, I do a little research on this. This kind of started also, or is paralleled with, um, back on, uh, actually, it's almost, well, 30 years ago, Troy set the record for the most points in a game. Do you remember this? I do not. One, uh, the final score, okay, again, listen, 258 to 141. DeVry scored 141 points and almost got doubled. They got beat by 100. You know, the, the coach is a guy named Don Maestri who was a wimp assistant. Now, can you imagine wimp allowing that kind of three-point shooting? Never, <laughs> no. never, never. It, it should be noted that Grinnell, uh, 
they just improved to four and six. <laughs> so Good point. Not like they're setting the, the division three on fire, and they did score four points from the free throw line. <laughs> I wonder if they were four for four. I don't. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just run and gun. It's run and gun. So you figure let's let's do a little on air math here, Christian. Please, you're you're the youngest with the freshest mind. Help me out here. If you shoot one hundred and eleven threes, there are forty minutes in a basketball game. So you're basically shooting almost three per minute. Correct. And one thing is for sure, they're making a three. Last night they made a three at on an average of one a minute. Uh, that's incredible. Christian, can you shoot the three ball? You know, I'm not. I'm not the the best basketball player. I try to stick to <laughs> stick to what I'm familiar with. So that's that's probably football or soccer. I'll uh, yeah, I can play basketball, but it's always uh, it's probably more uh more of a joke than it is serious because I, I get in trouble for fouling a lot i think i'm just used to the physical contact of football so i'm probably not the the best teammate <laughs> well i'm probably a good teammate but you probably don't want to play against me because i <laughs> end up just fouling a lot <laughs> i bet you could take a charge i bet you I bet you could also <laughs> deliver one more importantly <laughs> I'm uh, I'm the guy who floats on the wing. I rarely venture into 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 the paint for fear of guys like Christian. You know what? He, destroying Christian, me. you know, you know what Lars does, and I and I have a little bit of knowledge here. Uh, Lars roams around outside the three, waiting for somebody like you or maybe even me to set him a screen. That's right. He's that guy. He's or, that guy. Or cherry picks at the end of the can't court. Shoot. <laughs> yes. No, I don't. I don't cherry pick. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I do need help getting off my shot. Like if I have the ball in hand, I'm not going to be able to juke whoever's guarding me. Doesn't matter how old or young they are. <laughs> I, I need. A, I need a screen. Uh, I need to run off of, of a screen. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I tore my Achilles playing pickup hoops in New York City a few years ago, and. I, I've been real hesitant to to play anymore, just because I, I I know how grueling the rehab is and the severity of that injury. And if I had known how hard it was going to be to come back from it, it would have frightened me at the beginning when it happened. And uh, and and now that I know how difficult it is, I absolutely do not want it to happen again. And man, uh, I yeah, it, it happened in, in New York City, and on a after on a Friday afternoon, I was able somehow. I went went to the emergency room. That uh, a couple guys took me there, but then I was able to get out to LaGuardia and just gut it out uh, and getting on the plane back to Birmingham because I wanted Andrews, the Andrews gang, to be operating on me and. You know, three days later, uh, Dr. Norman Waldrop, who's also the one of the orthopedic or one of the surgeons for uh, Alabama, who I know that uh, Christian knows really well. I was I was under the knife with with Norm and uh, and, and April, uh, who I was married to at the time. You know, Norm looks like a J. Crew model, and she was more like obsessed with uh, his looks than uh, my uh, well-being. Your injury? Yeah, that's when I knew there something was amiss. Oh my, Lars! Let me ask you this: Did that injury give you like a newfound respect for uh, athletes that that have to recover and bounce back from those type of injuries? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I worked my tail off in rehab because I had heard from so many people, if you don't really get after it, you are going to lose some mobility moving forward. And, uh, and you know, it, it, it's amazing how quickly the calf muscle atrophies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, and it, it was uh, it was really, really challenging. But the people at Andrews were so great. Uh, the, the care was just uh, off the charts. Couldn't have asked for anything better. And uh, very fortunate. And, and it's it's crazy. Like when you're when you're you know at the at Andrews, uh, which is at a wing at St. Vincent's here in Birmingham, you, you see famous athlete after famous athlete walk through there. And uh, and then, man, they just they they do a terrific job. But yeah, absolutely, Christian. Uh, what, what's the most significant injury of your career? Um, in terms of coming back, I would say probably the biceps tear that I had my junior year. Um, but uh, on a on a pain level, I would definitely say the hamstring when I pretty much tore it. That that oh, excruciating pain. But uh, the rehab for that that biceps injury, same you know same people operated on it. Um, you know, Doctor Kane and his and his crew did a phenomenal job with that. And um, man, like you mentioned, just rehab for those types of injuries. Um, there's no other way to put it. It is grueling. It's exhausting, you know, day in and day out. You have to go in there and, and attack the process. It, it's painful. Um, there's days you don't feel like doing it, but you know uh, you have to. You don't have a choice. If you want to get back to your, your old self and, and, and have a chance at, at playing uh, up to your standard and your potential, you, you have to do what you have to do. So I would definitely say the biceps tear. That, that one was tough, but, uh, you know, fortunately uh, had a had a great medical staff uh, and, and uh, Dr. Kane and, and his staff and, Obviously, Jeff Allen and his crew over um, in the training room on campus uh, did a phenomenal job with guys like me and, and Terrell Lewis, who also had an elbow injury uh, at the same time. So, man, that that one was one to remember. Did you go down in a heat? I mean, you knew it immediately. So I made it. Yeah, yeah. I did. Oh, I, I, Lars, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Just just for yeah, just for me, it, it it felt like a shotgun went off. Uh, that's what it sounded like. And uh, I, I thought somebody had had kicked me as hard as they can in the back, uh, in the back of like right on my left Achilles. And I turned around and there was nobody behind me. And I was playing ball with a, a guy who was the all time leading assist leader at Cornell. Uh, and he came over right away. He felt my he felt where the Achilles was and it already rolled up. And he's just like, dude, you just tore your Achilles right in half. You Ivy Luger's, uh, you, you stick together. That's right. Even in injury. Hey, uh, something really, really fun to do tomorrow. We'll talk about it next on Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is attacked. Back on Big Noon Sports with Lars, Christian, and Matt. And we are joined now by the president of the Talladega Super Speedway, Brian Crichton. Brian, it's Matt. How are you? Hey, Matt. I'm doing well. How are you? Man, I'm, I'm great. Uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Tell everybody what's going on at Talladega. Yeah, it's going to be an, another great day at uh, Talladega Super Speedway uh, tomorrow. This is our fourth 
um, Laps for Charity event uh, for the year. Uh, and this one is going to benefit uh, Toys for Tots. So uh, every penny that's raised out here uh, will go to the, our, our local Toys for Tots. Uh, the Toys for Tots is based out of uh, uh, the Birmingham area and also here in East Central Alabama to, uh, to to give back to you know families that are in need this year. We know it's been a tough year for a lot, and um, we want to make sure that uh, we're helping out in our local community. So people have the chance to come out here for a $50 donation to Toys for Tots. You actually get to drive your own car car around the biggest, the baddest, and the fastest speedway in the world. So uh, we do pace you. We do keep you at highway speeds, but um, to put your car on these 33 degrees of banking is a, uh, a feeling that uh, is uh, unmatched and uh, something that's hard to describe uh, until you actually get out there on that racetrack and, uh, and, and realize what these NASCAR drivers do out here. And, and Brian, let me uh, tell the folks listening to Big Noon Sports from personal appear, uh, you know, experience. It really doesn't matter if you got a pickup truck, you know, pretty good shape, take it around there, or you know, if you happen to own a sports car, even better. But the true feel of the whole deal is when you come out of turn one, and I, I'm again, this is me, first time I did it. You come out off of pit road and into turn one, you go. There's a five-story building in front of me. What do I do? Uh, it's the massive, the the G's. I mean, and you feel what you do when you get onto the 33-degree banking. And, yeah, it's fun to go down the straightaways in the oval. But, man, uh, it's it's hard to explain going up into that curve, isn't it, into the banking. It- yeah, you're exactly right. You come off of Pit Road, you you cross our start finish line, which is in a unique position only here at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, so it's not in the middle of the trioval. So you cross over that start finish line, and you're looking down towards Turn One. And you're right; it looks like there's a wall down there. It looks like there's a wall that you've got to climb, um, and it's about uh, 75 feet, um, you know, from the uh, top of the wall all the way down to our double yellow line. It's about, like you said, a five-story building, um, and you got to get up to about 80 miles an hour and uh it'll just kind of take you right around those turns so it's uh, a a little trick is the uh you know you don't want to slow down when you're going through those turns you want to kind of keep it at that uh, highway speed of about you know 80 miles an hour um, as you're going through those turns and it makes it nice and smooth and easy um, but you're right you feel the g's uh you can you know look down and see you know the the double yellow line and look up and see the wall and you know you realize these nascar drivers are doing this at 200 miles an hour with 39 other cars cars in very, very close proximity uh, to them as well. So it gives you an appreciation for what the NASCAR driver does. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, you, I can talk about it until I'm blue in the face, but until you actually come out here and put your car, whether it's that sports car, whether it's a minivan, whether it's a uh, pickup truck, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, out there and really, really feel that banking and, and feel the, um, you know, what this, this racetrack is, it's, uh, it's amazing. Can you bring the family? Absolutely. As, as long as uh, everybody is in, uh, you know, a seat with a seatbelt, um, you know, we follow the uh, Alabama Department of Transportation rules and regulations out on the highway. So if uh, you have a youngster with you, you know, youngsters are uh, allowed to go around as well, as long as they're in the proper, um, you know, seat for their age and their weight. Um, so, yes, absolutely. We encourage uh, families to come out and experience it, um, you know, all together. And then after the laps are over, we actually have our Talladega Garage Experience, which is open 
open. And so that's that new $50 million uh, infield renovation project that you know very well, Matt, because of uh, you know, all the time that you spend out here. Um, but uh, we're going to have the Vulcan Trophy uh, set up in our victory lane, uh, so you can get your picture taken with that. The pace car or promo car is going to be in victory lane as well. Uh, we'll have the kids zone open, the game zone open. Uh, we'll have value price concessions like we do during our NASCAR event weekend. So $2 bottles of water, $2 uh, Coke products, $2 hot dogs, all those kind of good things. So it's uh, um, not only do you get to go uh, around the racetrack, but you also get to see Talladega Garage Experience and do some great fun things inside of there tomorrow as well. All right, we got a half a minute. Give us the 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 uh, the times when you show up. Fifty bucks in your pocket. Yeah, a couple. Absolutely, come on out. Nine o'clock to one o'clock in the afternoon is when we're running it. Um, you can uh, you know pay here uh, the donation. We're asking for a fifty dollar donation back for Toys for Tots. If you want to bring an unwrapped toy as well, that's great. Um, but uh, come on out here and experience Talladega and help a great cause. Give back in our local communities and help those that are uh, families that are in need in our local communities. Brian, have a great Meet weekend. Joe Thank a, you. Hi. Joe B. Hello. And Joe C. What's up? Three everyday Joes perfecting their banking with Chase. Joe A is locking his lost debit card with the Chase mobile app. Joe B. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. And help lead us to victory. See you guys on Monday. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Wow. Okay. We start to show this big news sports. You just heard about our components and you know our, our, our folks here in the studio. You got Lars. You got Christian. You got Matt. Uh, I know you two guys were glued to the set. I'm flipping around. Okay. You guys are the the real NFL aficionados. I just kind of hang on, but. What what did that do, not just for the Rams, but for the NFL? That and Brady? You know, here, here guys, I'm going to come. I'm going to be totally transparent. I don't believe it. I think it's all staged. <laughs> <laughs> what happened last night was what all last uh, night? What orchestrated Brady? By, yeah. by, the, by the puppet, by the, by the puppet master, uh, Roger that. Goodell. And guys with jet lag and, what, maybe 60 snaps? Don't do what Baker Mayfield. So I think it's all. I think it's all on a really pretty stage. Uh, you know, when you fly east to west, you don't really get jet lag too bad. But uh, I, I, this bears repeating. What happened last night was virtually unprecedented uh, in NFL history. One, uh, the the winning drive was ninety eight yards, and that ninety eight yard march to win the game was the NFL's longest go-ahead touchdown drive to begin in the final two minutes over the last 45 seasons. This is according to Elias Sports Bureau, it's, it, and Elias is the gold standard of, of statistics, uh, of statisticians. And also, uh, so Baker Mayfield, he was picked up by the Rams two days before his debut. This was the shortest amount of time that a player has spent with a new team before playing quarterback since at least 1995, and that's per NFL research, and I still think uh, they're, they're digging in to see exactly how far it went or how, how far back you have to go to uh, find some, somebody in a similar situation as Baker Mayfield. 
And um, Christian, I, I have a couple questions for you, but let's just go back to what we were discussing last hour. How improbable is it that Baker Mayfield was able to do what he did last night? Well, you know, anytime you're learning a, a new system, it's extremely difficult um, to be able to try to, you know, jam that in in, in a span of two days uh, to try to get those reps with your with your new receivers in two days. I mean, it's 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 just improbable. I mean, it, there's no easy way to, to put it other than it's it's. It's just, it's just it's a tough challenge for anybody, and to see a guy like that go out there and find a way to get it done again, it wasn't pretty early on. Um, but it's not about how you start; it's about how you finish. And he showed that he showed that he had grit, and he showed that he had toughness and determination to get the job done. And um, he bet on himself. He even mentioned that in the post game interview that uh, he took a took a gamble. He went ahead and booked a flight out to L.A. before the waivers were even um, cleared. Uh, just because he had a strong feeling that he might end up out there. And, um, you know, just a really good situation for him, for a guy that's been struggling recently, almost probably has a new sense of uh, confidence now about him. And uh, regardless of what happens, you know, if he if he leads his team going forward and, you know, they, they accomplish some good things or, you know, he ends up just, you know, kind of being another backup quarterback out there. I mean, he was a week ago a third-string quarterback for the Carolina Panthers and last night. Um, with two days uh, to prepare. He led uh, his new team uh, on a 13-point comeback victory, including a uh, 98-yard drive down down the field to score a touchdown to give his team the win. So um, he he can live with that, and that's just a really special moment for a guy that's been going through it recently. Christian, there's only so many plays an NFL team can run. How different are the playbooks from one? I don't know if you know this or not, but because uh, I I know that your NFL career was spent with uh, the Carolina Panthers, but do you know or do you have a sense of how different one team's playbook is from another? And is it is it uh, an issue for Baker last night? Is it is it necessarily learning the plays or learning the verbiage of the plays? Uh, probably a little bit of both. And to answer your question on the, the differences, I mean. Um, it, it, here's the thing that teams run different styles of offenses, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there's um, at least let's speak on the offensive side first, right? So he they can tell him, you know, pass concepts, you know, give him routes that the receivers are going to run. Um, he can figure all that stuff out. You know, the verbiage might be slightly different, but at the end of the day, um, you still have your, your typical routes that the receivers are going to run. It's just uh, a matter of the concepts that you're running them. Um, the biggest thing would be him getting those plays in and knowing how to communicate with his guys, uh, how to get them lined up and where they need to go. I mean, because he just met these guys. I mean, he, hell, he probably don't even know half their names. Um, so that's yeah. <laughs> that's part of the biggest challenge. But, you know, offenses can vary. You know, you have um, some that still are more pro-style offenses. You have some of this, you know, pass-heavy, you know, shotgun-reliant uh, offenses uh, nowadays. Um a lot of a lot of teams that like to run a lot of RPOs, uh, like you see with the Miami Dolphins. Um, it just depends on what scheme you're in, um, but guys usually can just adjust, and, and and you just really just have to get in there and try to learn that that terminology as soon as possible. Um, defense is a little bit different, you know. You have different schemes in terms of you know one one team might run a base three four defense, other might run a base uh, four three defense. So that can be slightly different, and, and and could also alter you know where you play at amongst that defense, but. Um, you know, football is football at the end of the day. Uh, and really, if you have guys kind of helping you out on the field, thank God you have 10 other guys out there. 
um, they, they can help you get it figured out, and uh, you can you can find a way to make it happen. You know, because at the end of the day, it's, it's just football. It's usually just different words and terminology. I think it's important to remember too. The Rams had lost six in a row, and this team has just been decimated by injuries. And uh, last night, uh, the Rams were without their top two wide receivers, uh, and Baker's playing with a with backups. Um, Baker himself is basically a, a backup. But now, looking forward, this could be an ideal situation for Baker Mayfield. He finishes out the season as the starting quarterback for the Rams. Next year, Matthew Stafford, who's on IR right now, and he's not going to play anymore this year. They, they're shutting him down. Stafford, of course, will be the starter, but he is up there in years, and he probably has maybe one more year left. And so next year almost could be like a redshirt year, if Stafford stays healthy, could be a redshirt year for Baker Mayfield. And it's it's amazing to me. Like, did Baker Mayfield, Christian, win over the locker room in two days? I mean, it, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? And, uh, and, 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 and clearly, you know, there were issues with Baker, it, with the Cleveland organization. Things didn't work out in Carolina. Carolina's kind of a dumpster fire. You know, they, they, they fired their coach earlier, and, of course, he ends up where? Nebraska, but uh, wait, what, note the time and date. Uh, yes, Matt. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, do you think that this could be a long-term marriage, Christian, between Baker and the Rams? Um, there's that potential. Um, I think Matthew Stafford is their guy. Um, but if we're saying, you know, uh, after him, you know, could could Baker step in and, and, and be the next guy? Uh, potentially. I mean, I think. Uh, he showed his potential last night, and um, again, I, I don't, I don't like you know jumping the gun. You know, someone has one big performance and start um, writing them as you know the next big thing, just because again, you know, <laughs> you just got to pump the brakes sometimes. But I, I do feel that um, he has that potential and the ability um, to maybe kind of revive his career there. Um, I guess we'll just have to see. But I, I think first and foremost, I think Matthew Stafford is their guy. But, you know, at least for now, Baker's their guy. And to answer your question about the locker room, without a doubt, he won them over. Um, to have a guy come in like that and, um, you know, face that challenge and adversity the way he did and, and to step up um, as, as big as he did, I mean, that that earns the respect of everybody in that locker room. And, and now they know they have a guy that they can count on, not only for his ability, but just for his, his attitude and his mindset to get the job done and that he's not going to back down. You know, he's going to give it all he's got. Uh, for that for that team and those guys in the locker room and I know it was uh, very much appreciated and uh, his efforts did not go unnoticed last night from the other side what didn't the Raiders do on that drive that allowed Mayfield's heroics you know well they 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 did not convert on that um, on that third and short uh, I believe later in the game or it might have been a fourth and short actually large uh, was it was it did they go for it on fourth down or was it that I think they did Josh Jacobs was stopped short yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, and then also the Rams defense has, so that you got to give them credit as well. They had some really nice stops. Um, but I just was going to go back real quick, Lars, and you're asking about how it is picking up that offense. And realistically, if you ever hear an offensive play call, 
they're so long because it basically is the quarterback telling everybody, like, this is the personnel we have, the personnel group we have, the formation we have. It tells the receivers what routes to run, and then usually the, the offensive line um, are trained, you know, to uh, pick up certain protections and to communicate that amongst themselves. And, you know, he has influence on that as well. But that's usually, you know, why it's a little bit easier for a quarterback to kind of figure things out because he knows these terms for the most part because a lot of them are um, analogous or, or universal. So um, I, th- I think that also helped him out. You know, the, his experience definitely played a large role in him being able to pick it up that fast. One more question for you. Other than quarterback, what would the hardest position be to come in after just two days of practice and and, and play at a really high level? Well, I will say the easiest position would probably be a defensive lineman because that's pretty easy to communicate, and, and you got the guys right next to you that can kind of walk you through. Plus, again, a lot of that stuff is universal. But probably second hardest would be potentially uh, maybe like a center on the offensive line because you're commanding the offense um, as well from the trenches. Um, or potentially a defensive back, but I would probably say center would probably be the second most hardest uh, position to try to pick up in that two-day span. You're wrong, Christian. It would be a kicker. <laughs> we love we love kickers on this show, uh, especially especially Dicker the kicker. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, here's the title of the article: AL.com from the lead. Skarbinski, no debate here. The Saban dynasty at Alabama is definitely in decline. We'll talk to Kevin in a moment. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Has the pandemic affected your business? Even with more and more customers going online in the past five years, online business has grown greatly due to the pandemic. Now more than ever, it's important to have... Today, 73. Tonight's low, 56. For tomorrow, partially sunny with a chance of widely scattered showers. The high at 74. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 76 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller. Glad you dialed us in on this Friday afternoon. Joined now by a longtime writer, columnist, uh, and now TV star, Kevin Skarbinski, is going to be with us for the next few minutes. He has recently penned uh, a column on AL.com through one of their, I guess, uh, legs called Lead. So if you subscribe to that, you've read this. Kevin, it's Matt and the gang. How are you, man? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Oh, uh, hey, it's Christmas. Hey, it's uh, the time <laughs> time time of year for joy. Make a joyful noise, there, Kevin. Um, so you you think that uh, there may be some of the luster coming off the Saban shine at the University of Alabama? I wouldn't phrase it that way. I would phrase it the way I did in the column for the lead, and that is that there is. Uh, demonstrably uh, some decline from a height that no one has ever hit in the history of college football. Uh, What I didn't say, and some people apparently have a reading comprehension problem, I did not use the word over to refer to the Saban dynasty. I think that would be foolish to suggest that. Uh, Be able to get back and compete for and win. Well, they're still competing for, but win championships again. 
But again, if you look at it empirically uh, over this current five-year period in the last two years in particular, yes, there is a, there is a, a somewhat of a descent. And, and are you, Kevin, just sort of analyzing records, statistics, and uh, and then what would be the reason behind uh, this this little you could you could call it a dip or a descent? Yeah, I, Lars, I would say that I did. I looked at I looked at different numbers, for example, comparing different stages of Saban's tenure in Tuscaloosa. This will be the first. This is the first five-year period uh, since he's been there that will have seen only one national championship. And and I say only uh, with a certain tone of voice because most programs would be thrilled to say that they'd won a national championship in the last five years. But, again, for Nick Saban at Alabama, that stepped down. They've won only one in the last five years. They've never gone five years with only one. Uh, that is one example. The fact that they've played ten one score games over the last two seasons, five last year, five again this year. They had averaged from 2008 to 2020 only two one score games a year. So that is a, a reflection of change. Certainly they are playing more close games that come down to the end than they had earlier in Nick Saban's tenure. And then I thought an interesting, I thought an interesting comparison was, the seven years before Kirby Smart left to become the head coach of Georgia, Alabama won four national champ when he was the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Alabama won four national in those seven years. This is now seven years that Kirby's been the head coach of Georgia. In these seven years, Alabama has won two national championships, and if Georgia wins two more games, then Kirby will have two national championships himself. So all of those all of those factors again subtle but clearly not quite as dominant as Alabama had been earlier in Saban's tenure. Could it just be, you know, naturally though that the, you know things happen? I mean, uh, I'm just looking now. I mean, we we still played for a national championship, you know, the year prior and against Georgia and we granted we had two of the the starting wide receivers out for that game. I mean, if they play arguably Alabama, you know, does win a title um, last year. Then this year, the two games that they lost were both on the last play. I mean, do you feel like it's a little bit of a reach at all, you know, to to really to be so critical uh, of the program, or do you feel like it's valid? Well, first of all, Christian, I would not say that it's being critical of the program. I would say that it's an objective look at where the program is. And, and of course, you can flip and say, uh, yes, they lost two games by one play, essentially. But they also won some games by, one, you know, the, the, the Texas game, the Texas A&M game this year, just to use a couple of examples. Uh, the fact that they are now playing more close games that come down to the end is different than it was uh, earlier in Saban's tenure when they tended to beat people rather convincingly on a more frequent basis than they've done the last couple of years. Uh, so again, it's not, I, I, again, this is all relative. This is not comparable. This is not comparing them to Auburn. It's comparing them to Georgia to some extent, but not, not to any other program in college football. It's comparing where Alabama is now to where it was earlier. And as I said, when we started, you know, the, the 15th, the six, well, really, if you start in 08, 
when Alabama started competing for championships and got to the SEC championship game. It, no one has ever lifted a program to the height that Nick Saban has and maintained it at that level as long as Nick Saban and his staff and all the players like yourself that contributed to that. So, you know, that, that's why I know it may sound like criticism, but it's really more of an evaluation. And it's really, to me, a question, what does Nick Saban do now? How does he adjust? Because that's one of the things that sets him apart is he's always adjusted to the changing nature of the game, whether it was, you know, the hurry up, no huddle, uh, the spread offenses, he brings in Lane Kiffin, and, and all of a sudden Alabama starts beating people offensively, uh, more so than defensively. They're outscoring people to a great degree. So how is he going to adjust now? Because the changes to the game are more so off the field with the transfer portal, with NIL. Uh, again, he's, his adaptability is one of his greatest strengths. How does he adapt and stay ahead of the curve going forward? Kevin, how is he, in your opinion, doing so far? Because he's not in. He was. I don't think he was in favor of either one of them. He seems to have handled it, but I, I get the feeling that in the back room of Nick Saban's mind, he didn't like it. He still doesn't like it. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. And well, look, you guys all know he he didn't like he didn't like the hurry up no huddle. He didn't like the spread offense. He didn't like the fact that he couldn't make uh, substitutions and and adjust calls on defense uh, after the game sped up and changed. But he adapted to it. But this is, this is a different animal, and I, I think, and he's not unique in this. I, I think most coaches have serious objections to the off-the-field developments in college football and those two, those, those twin terrors, if you will, in a coach's eyes, the port, transfer portal and NIL. Uh, I, I don't think they're against players being compensated for their name, image, and likeness, but what it has morphed into is is more of what they object to. So how's he adjusted? Well, you know, here and here's an interesting thought. You know, Alabama has gone into the portal, and you mentioned receivers, Christian. They've, had to, they've recruited well based on the rankings. You know, the 2020 class had a number of highly rated receivers. But I think most of those guys have transferred out, except for Ja'Cory Brooks, or have put themselves in the transfer portal with the, with the intention of perhaps transferring out if they haven't already. So they've had to go into the portal. That position stands out. They went into the portal and, and hit a walk-off grand slam with Jameson Williams two years ago. Uh, and as you say, certainly him not being available uh, in that national championship game and John Mechie already being hurt was, was a huge blow to Alabama uh, against Georgia that night. So they hit on that one. But then this past year, the two receivers they brought in out of the portal were not as effective. They, they were not game breakers, game changers, the way that Jameson Williams was the, the year before. So, what, but, so you could ask yourself why. It's not that Alabama is not recruiting or not, not recruiting at the level in terms of rankings, but in terms of effectiveness. Why have they had to go into the portal to find uh, wide receivers who could be difference makers. Why have those they have not uh, those guys not developed that they've signed out of high school the way that they had in the past? Because it, look, it's it's obvious they've had a great run of wide receivers that they that they signed out of high school and then developed, but that's changed somewhat in the last couple of years. 
Kevin, I don't know if you've had a chance to dig into this or not, but when it comes to NIL, uh, where does Alabama sit in terms of their ability to be competitive and offer the same amount of money, if not more, than other teams in the SEC and, oh, yes, those teams in Texas that have a lot of oil money? Well, that's that's a good question, Lars. And, and I would caution everyone to be cautious when you see numbers thrown around. Uh, this school has this much in its, in its collective uh, vault. Uh, some of those numbers are a little inflated. Some of them are pledges, not actually cash in the bank. So, and, and there's no central clearinghouse where you have to report it, certainly not publicly. So it is hard to get a really good grasp. I would say Alabama is not, from, from what I understand, Alabama is not necessarily at the top uh, of the money train, uh, not, at the, not anywhere near the bottom. But also there's a, I get a sense that, that more, less so than others, Alabama is not as willing to, as A&M did, to just jump in full bore and pay top dollar. Who's the receiver from Pitt that went to USC? Jordan Addison this year. Uh, you know, he, Alabama, I understand, was on his short list, and, and I wonder if Alabama just wasn't willing to pay what he was able to earn at USC through NIL money there. So is it, is it can't or won't or is reluctant to? That, I, I don't have a solid answer to that. And that's something really that a lot of schools, a lot of programs, a lot of these collectives attached to programs are wrestling with right now. You know, just real quick, if Alabama gets that receiver, oh, I agree. that could change the entire oh, season. Totally. Uh, oh, no. And, and I, I was thinking it uh, all the way leading up to the time he announced where he wasn't going. Um, yeah, he could have been uh, Williams-like. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, hey, Kevin, that, can you look, add guys, one more segment? Yeah. Oh, sure. Of course. Be glad to. Okay. Uh, certainly. Uh, we'll finish up that particular uh, part of Kevin Skarbinski when we get back on the other side of the break. By the way, you can dial him in. Just look him up on the Internet. He's, an a, he's a contributor at AL.com. But go to the lead and subscribe to that, and then you can get Kevin on an everyday, every week basis. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. They're big, and they're coming for you. Tax refund advance loans at Jackson Hewitt, up to 4500 bucks. That's big. Like our tax refund advance can beat up. Back on the show on this uh, not-so-lovely, but very out-of-season warm. December night, Friday afternoon. You're listening to Big News Sports. You got Matt Coulter. There's Lars Anderson and Christian Miller. Kevin, uh, appreciate you joining us right now. So I'm just curious. Um, so what are your thoughts moving forward? Do you feel that Georgia and, and Kirby Smart um, have have taken control of that lead program right now in, in college football, or and do you feel like they're there to stay, or do you think this is just kind of a, a temporary thing that? Um, you know, Nick Saban will adjust and adapt and, and kind of get back on top um, from what we're used to seeing from him? I think right now, and obviously they've got two more games to play to win their second straight national championship, 
and that and that would be in Kirby's sixth and seventh years in Athens. Nick, of course, did it in his fifth. He went back to back in his fifth and sixth, and, and won three out of four uh, in that time. I think they're the program, obviously, that's looking Alabama in the eye. They're the program that is the biggest danger to uh, Alabama. You know, threatening them for that that number one spot uh, among all college football programs. And I do think Kirby has staying power. And I think I think this is another thing that's hurt Alabama. You know, we don't really talk about it much. To some degree, we do in different ways. You know, look at the, look at the the brain power, if you will. Uh, that has learned under Nick Saban and is now running programs that are competing with Alabama. And obviously, George is at the top of that list, but you've got obviously Lane Kiffin uh, in Oxford. You've got Billy Napier in Florida. They just got a commitment from a, uh, a five-star quarterback for the 2024 class. You've got Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. And, and obviously, the list goes on and on. Jimbo at A&M. And while none of those guys beat Nick for a long, long time, uh, that has begun to change. That's that's another thing that's that's a, that's different than it used to be, uh, not in Alabama's favor. But I think it was inevitable that at some point that that brain drain, if you will, was going to hurt Alabama. You know, there there are only you know there are coaches that will grow and develop into excellent assistants and then coordinators and then head coaches, but some of the some of the most elite assistants that Alabama's had are now not helping Alabama. They're hurting Alabama because they're competing against Alabama. They're recruiting against them. They're going head-to-head against them on the field. So I think that, again, is a challenge. Does What does the most immediate uh, moves that Nick Saban will make that are, are of uh, the greatest interest, I think, to most of us, what does he do with his staff? Is he truly happy with his coordinators? Are we going to see a change there at one or both spots? And and how and how do those guys stack up against the Kirby Smarts, the Lane Kiffins uh, that have that have been coordinators for have been elite coordinators at Alabama? Kevin, can you give us your breakdown slash analysis of the two national semifinals: Georgia versus Ohio State, Michigan versus TCU? I have a sneaking suspicion that Ohio State. They're my team to beat because they barely got in and they kind of have a, a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, you know, in a sense, uh, they're like Alabama 2017, right? Uh, sat there, yeah, you know, exactly. lost lost a game, didn't win their you know didn't win their division, didn't play in the conference championship game, got the last spot in the playoff, and then of course we remember what Alabama did, winning the whole thing in in one of the most amazing uh, walk off victories in overtime. Uh, over Georgia and Atlanta that any of us has ever seen. So uh, I think Ohio State has somewhat of that capability. I don't think this Ohio State team is on the level of that Alabama team, for example. But I also don't think this Georgia team is on the level of last year's Georgia team. So if Georgia doesn't have its mind on its business, if it, if it at all looks ahead to a potential rematch with Michigan, or if it thinks that this game is going to be somewhat of a walk, They'll have their hands full. But I, I think if Georgia is fully locked in and engaged, I, I think they'll, they'll win the game. And, and I think they will end up playing Michigan. I think TCU's been a great story, and they have been amazing with their ability to come back in games. I, I think Michigan, Michigan is somewhat of an old-school Alabama team, the way they approach things. 
So I, I think that's a, to me, Michigan's the better team and and should win the game. So I, I'm anticipating a Georgia Michigan rematch from last year's semifinals in the finals. And I also would suggest that it would be a closer game. Georgia dominated the Wolverines in that in that Orange Bowl. I think this would be a closer game, but I still think Georgia is the best team in the country. And if if they don't turn the ball over too much, if they just do what they can do, and if Stetson Bennett continues to be the big game player that he's been, I think Georgia is going to win that second straight national title. Kevin Skarbinski from AL.com slash The Lead is our guest here on Big Noon Sports. Kevin, if the postseason awards that have already been handed out or any indication Caleb Williams will likely uh, win the Heisman, do you see that? It's, it does appear to be trending in that direction. I will say I was really surprised Hendon Hooker was not a top-four selection based on the season he had. The way he lifted Tennessee this year, he was – uh, he was as good a player and as valuable a player as there was in college football this year. So I, I was really surprised he was not top four. And, and I'll say this, I, and I know Bryce Young didn't have the numbers from a year ago because he got hurt. He missed a game, missed a game and a half really, and, and took him a while to get back to full speed. There's not a better football player in, in America at the college level than Bryce Young. And I guarantee you, uh, any any of the playoff contenders or any of the teams that are in the playoff, they the guy the teams that are in the playoff breathe a sigh of relief that Alabama didn't get in the playoff because they didn't want to have to get, they didn't want to give Bryce Young another at bat because we know what he's capable of and that's really one of the most uh, I don't know if sad is the right word he's had an incredible two years as a starter but he's going to leave Alabama without a national championship as a starter of course he was the backup in 2020 when they won it but. And it's, there's something, I don't know, it just, it just seems like, you know, you had the best offensive player in the country, you had the best defensive player in the country, and Will Anderson, and that's been validated multiple times over uh, on the awards circuit so far. And it just seems, it just seems not right that those guys uh, aren't going to go out either as national champions last year or this year. Kevin, speaking of the playoffs, what are your thoughts on the 12-team the playoff that will be implemented in a couple of years? Well, you know, I've always thought that it needed to be more inclusive, that there needed to be more opportunities uh, for more teams. You know, is 12 the right number? Is 8 the right number? It really doesn't matter because it is going to be 12. And so so out, we won't have debates like this. And I think if, if you went back to – I think this is right. If you went back to 2008 and, they had, and, you, and you started a 12-team playoff then, Alabama would have been in it every year but one – when they were number 13 in the final, in the final rankings. So, uh, before the, before the bowls and the, and the postseason game. So, you know, this is, this is not going to be a debate for Alabama in a couple of years. Cause I think far more often than not, and it'll be unlikely that they don't make a 12 team playoff as long as Nick Saban's there. So they will be, they will have the opportunity to, to compete for more national championships, to add to that number, to, to break the tie uh, at Alabama, where where Bear Bryant won six and 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 Nick has six, and of course he has the additional one at LSU. And I think, and I don't know that he's ever said this, and I don't know if he ever would say this, but I get the sense that he would like to, he would like to break that tie. He would like to add at least one more. Of course, he wants to win it every year, but I think he'd like to have when he when he does hang it up and go to the lake. I think he'd like to have one more than Bryant in Tuscaloosa. 
As we wrap things up, Kevin, basketball, are we back or close to being in the 80s with UAB, Alabama, and Auburn? We're getting there, Matt. We're, we're getting there. Uh, it is it is really cool to see. You know how much I love basketball. And to see what Nate Oates has done in Tuscaloosa, to see what Bruce Pearl has done in Auburn and what Andy Kennedy is doing here in Birmingham, yeah, I think we're getting to the point. I, I, I would be surprised if all three are not in the NCAA tournament this year. And, to, and a cherry on top, the NCAA tournament is coming back to Birmingham this year for the first time since 2008 at the uh, newly refurbished Legacy Arena, which is really cool. If you haven't been there, that's, I mean, it, you won't recognize the place on the inside or on the outside, really, but certainly on the inside. And so I'm excited about that. I'm hoping at least I'm hoping we might get one of those teams or, or more here in Birmingham Maybe, maybe not, but no, uh, it is, it's all about coaches, right? I mean, you hire the right coaches right. and you give them the resources they need, they're going to be successful. And that's what those three programs have done. They've hired the right coaches and they have turned them loose. And, and look, hey, well, you know, it's exciting to me as, as a basketball guy, who are the last two SEC regular season champions? It's Auburn and Alabama. And two years ago, Alabama added the uh, the SEC tournament championship to that resume, and those you know got to the Sweet 16. So good that Auburn broke through the the state's ceiling to get to the Final Four a few years ago. I think this Alabama team is capable of doing that. Brandon Miller is legit. He is yeah. he to me right now he's better than Jabari Smith was last year at this point, and I think he's really? got an incredible wow. ceiling. Yeah, I really do. I, 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 I think he's I got more. Know. I think he's more of an all-around player uh, than Jabari. That team can sure rebound, though. Hey, I heard a new one from Wimp as we go to break. You might enjoy this. I heard him say something about Kentucky basketball this year is as average as running water. You ever heard that one? <laughs> no, you would think you would think we would have heard that from Wimp before, but leave it to Wimp yeah, to still be, right. still be coming up with new uh, with new colorful quotes. Uh, this far into his experience, uh, that was one of the great joys of being a, a, a daily journalist back in the day was covering Alabama basketball at Wimp Sanderson. And never a dull moment for sure. Kevin, you have an open invitation to come and join us in the studio Seriously. whenever. This is really great stuff. Thank you. Oh, well, thank, thank you guys. Well, hey, I've enjoyed it. This has been fun. Uh, Christian, I'm glad uh, to catch up with you. I, 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 did a show with your dad a couple of years ago, and he was an absolute blast. He was, uh, I see that, and I see that the uh, apple did not fall far from that tree. <laughs> I appreciate that. I have to tell him you came on here. Yeah, he was, uh, he, we had fun doing a show on, on 3340 a few years ago. So, guys, thank you. I hope everybody has a great holiday, and I'd love thank to come uh, actually sit, see you guys in person. Take care. All right, let's do it. Thank you, Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9 presents a night with award-winning Elvis tribute artist Jerome Jackson. Friday, December 9th at 7.30. Today, 73. Tonight's low, 56. For tomorrow, partially sunny with a chance of widely scattered showers. The high at 74. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 74 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Hey, we're wrapping up another week 
Another Friday show on Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter. I'm going to do a little housekeeping over here, okay, guys? Uh, first on a baseball note, Tuscaloosa's own David Robinson is going from the Phils to the Mets. One-year deal reliever. Remember, he pitched in the World Series this previous season. One-year, 10 mil. Not bad for not, an Alabama guy. No, uh, not bad at all. Uh, another deal is that uh, we were talking basketball. Uh, tune it in this weekend. I'm sure you can find all of these games somewhere. I know the Alabama versus number one Houston game is on ABC, but UAB's at West Virginia. That'll be a good game. And then Memphis is at Auburn. That'll be a good game. College football awards. I want you guys' input. Do you know what the Bulls worth award is? The Bulls worth. Um, I don't know. Special teams coach. What what an outside-the-box guess. Do you know what it is, Christian? Is that the the walk-on award? Yep. Ah. Go ahead and tell everybody what it is and who won it. Well, I, I didn't even see who won it. I just was uh, familiar with it. I think, you know, guys like, did Baker Mayfield win that when he was in college, or am I mistaken? He, he should have. But yeah. Stetson Bennett, the fourth oh, well, one. There, there oh, you go. That makes sense. Um, speaking of awards, the Heisman is going to be awarded on Saturday night. And, Christian, uh, this question is for you. Lincoln Riley, man, you go back to 2017 – He's had four Heisman Trophy candidates, right? Uh, Baker Mayfield, he won it. Kyler Murray, he won it. Jalen Hurts, uh, I think Jalen finished second or third. Right. And and now um, Caleb Williams uh, most likely is going to win it. So you have gone against a Lincoln-Riley coached offense, is there something that Lincoln does that just uh, gets the maximum potential out of his quarterbacks? Yeah, throw the football a lot. <laughs> I mean, he just <laughs> he gives the power to those quarterbacks, and uh, you know he recruits uh, quarterbacks with a lot of arm talent, and he tries to get some some really athletic and capable wide receivers in there um, as a support cast for those quarterbacks, and uh, they just they try to beat you uh, through the air, and um, I think it also is a testament. Uh, to his uh, developmental skills of of quarterbacks and, and quarterback play, and I'm um, just doing a really fine job of putting these guys in positions to make plays. And, and it, look, he has a, he has a, a, an ideal prototype uh, quarterback that he likes, and he he goes out and finds those guys that fit his system. He, he puts them in there, and they have success year in and year out. So I think it's a testament to both him as a coach and also just his system um, that he puts these guys in in order for them to have success. Yeah, I mean, you just can't argue with it. And uh, if you're a high school quarterback out there and you're looking to go play for a coach, it would be hard to turn down Lincoln Riley if he says, hey, you're my guy, you're my number one person. And, um, you know, look at – I I don't think you can sort of uh, uh, overlook the uh, role that Lincoln Riley played in the development of Jalen Hurts. Because right. Jalen did a really good job at, at Oklahoma. Um, and, and again, Christian, I'll just go back to you, just to ask you about that. The, the development you've seen from Jalen, what role do you think Lincoln played? And then also just, you know, his quarterback, his coaches at, at, at Philly, because 
I frankly, I never thought Jalen would play as well as he is. He's clearly the most improved player in the NFL. Uh, may win the MVP award, may lead his team to uh, the Super Bowl. I mean, uh, he is absolutely playing lights out. He really is, and uh, it's, it it just uh, goes to show you that you know uh, that, you, that you can you can as long as you have uh, the mind, the right mindset to to go out and accomplish these things, and and you have the the right people in place to help you get there. That that. Uh, you can have success, and I think Jalen's a testament to that. You know, I remember seeing him when he came on campus here. Um, he always had arm talent. Um, you know, he just he struggled with a couple things. His, he was a little inconsistent, and he he sometimes would uh, keep his he would, he wouldn't have his eyes downfield on his receivers. You know, he would he would feel pressure and he'd look to scramble, and instead of keeping his eyes up and downfield. Uh, he kind of would just look to run, and uh, I, I feel like that was one of the the first things I noticed uh, once he got to Oklahoma. Um, he, he seemed to improve upon that um, slowly but surely. He saw some progress in that area, and uh, it seemed like his throwing abilities had also progressed. But now with the Eagles, I feel that he is um, immensely um, so much just more improved in 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 terms of making those throws and keeping his eyes downfield, um, having trust in those receivers to to make plays. And uh, he doesn't always look to scramble as much like he used to in college, like we had seen. He, he's, he'd much rather make a play with his arm. And uh, I, I think that's the biggest improvement we've seen from him. Because, again, he's always had arm talent. Jalen's always had a big, strong arm. And uh, it was just a matter of uh, becoming a little more consistent and keeping his eyes downfield. And he's done a fine job with both of those things to, to ultimately get him where he's at now. And that's uh, one of the leading candidates in the MVP race in the National Football League. Hey, guys, let's wrap up a really good week with a salute to a, a, a really an Alabama treasure, a, a national treasure, really, an American treasure, and that's Charles Barkley. I hope you saw what he's done now. He donated a million dollars to Bethune-Cookman, a million dollars to Jackson State, and a million dollars to ALS. He's just, what a great guy, and he's from Leeds, right here outside the Birmingham area. He's been a friend of this show. we got to get him on again soon. He's in the very, very busy part of his season, though, obviously. But uh, I've been blessed not to name drop to have known Charles for over 40 years now, and I just love the man. Alabama treasure. He just run for governor. All right. Um, I'm not kidding, by the way. Uh, hey, Christian, have, have a great weekend. You too, Lars. Let's do it on Monday. Let's do it. Hey, listener, welcome to Lemu's Karaoke Lounge, where Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need, and the music never stops.